The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Several years ago, when Ronald Reagan was running for president, he made this statement, which has been repeated a number of times recently. He said, the nine most fearful words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Now we can laugh at that, but uh, he didn't mean it as just a joke. He was serious that the government sometimes doesn't really seem to help, and that sometimes the government seems to make matters worse. And some people might even say it makes it oppressive. Now we realize that government has a role to play, a role assigned to it by God. They are to be our agents, to help us. But we know times are difficult. We know that government is imperfect. And so we become dissatisfied and and maybe complain and, and throw up our arms and wonder, can anything ever be fixed and work right? Well, maybe it's time that we give it to the government. Uh, Help, that is. Maybe it's our turn to do something for the government, to give them help in the form of prayer. About a month and a half ago, as we looked at the role of the church in this world, one of our messages was focused on the topic of prayer. And so this month, we decided that we're going to focus specifically on how we are to pray for others. Today, we're going to see how God urges us to pray for our government leaders. That's the kind of help we can give them. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul as he writes to the pastor Timothy. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This is how... This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. When was the last time you complained about our government? When was the last time you prayed for our government? Paul urges us to make this a priority in our life. He started out this section saying, I urge you then, first of all, to pray. Now that means, yes, we should be frequent and regular in prayer, but it also implies that there is a quality to our prayers. And so he begins by instructing us with what words we should use when we pray. He said, I I urge you to make petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings. And we might listen to that and say, well, aren't they all the same thing? Isn't it all just 
prayer. Why did he use all those different words? Well, let me make this comparison. Sometimes we might say to somebody, I'd like a candy bar. And by that, we mean, you know, a chocolate bar. And maybe in particular, a Hershey bar. But we just generically say, and I want a candy bar. But Paul wasn't speaking generically here about prayer. That's why he listed four different words. And so it would be like us for, for us to say, you know what? I want a Three Musketeers bar. Or I want a Kit Kat. Or I want a Snickers. <laughs> All of those candy bars have particular characteristics to them that stand out and make them different. And so it is with that list of words that he gave us. And what he's urging us to do then is to pray with the right kind of asking. Well, let's look at what he urges us to do. To pray with petitions. That's a word that meant with specific requests, identifying a need and asking specifically for that need to be taken care of. Applying that to praying for our government leaders. As our country faces many challenges with an economy that's slow and and unemployment that stays hovering around the 8.3 mark and, and all sorts of other things, let's pray specifically that God would help our leaders to solve those particular problems and to give them a spirit of cooperation working together. That would be praying a petition. He also said to pray prayers. Now that sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? But the word he used for prayers was a word that meant you were worshiping God. You had a spirit of reverence and honor and respect as you were coming before him. Simply put, it meant recognize who you are and who he is. That he is the Lord God, the great God above the whole universe. And you, humble, lowly human sinner, have the privilege to come before his throne. So come before him with a sense of reverence and respect. Now somebody might say, uh, I'm going to pray and and ask God to help our country because, you know what, we've got it coming now. For all these years, we have always helped out other nations and, and we've been a good, godly nation. Well, we deserve to get something back. We deserve to get some help now. Well, that's not praying with a worshipful attitude toward the holy, universal God. Rather, we would recognize who we are. And that without him, we are nothing. So we come to him with respect and honor, relying on his grace to meet our needs. And that's brought out with the next word, intercession. It's a word that was used to refer to a a child approaching his parents to ask for something. The child isn't ashamed. The child is not afraid to come to the parent and ask, knowing that the parent could very well give him what he wants. And so it is. We should come to our Lord, interceding, coming to him with a trustful attitude, trusting in his grace, not saying, you know what? We're Americans, and we've done a lot of good. We deserve something back now. Nor to approach him with an attitude that says, Well, Lord, uh, we need a lot of help. Uh, 
maybe, maybe you could help us out, although I know we don't deserve it, and, and, and maybe we should just figure this mess out ourselves. Or, or, or maybe someone will say, you know, if, if we get our act together as a country and get more moral, then the Lord will help us out. Well, that's not approaching him with an attitude of trust in his forgiving grace. Paul also reminds us to include thanksgivings in our prayers. To have an attitude of gratitude. That is to recognize all the blessings and mercies that he has given us. We can be pretty quick to complain when things aren't going well or the way we like. We can be pretty quick to come up with a list of wants or desires that we have. Let's also remember the many blessings that we have. And that may just shorten up that list of needs and complaints. Thanksgiving. Let's thank God for the blessings that we have in this country. It doesn't take long to see what they are. Just turn on the news and see things that are happening in other parts of the world, and you will recognize just how blessed we indeed are. Let's thank God for those things, too. Then he includes another phrase when he says that he urges that these petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. He wants our prayer to be universal. Now, while we are talking about our leaders in particular, because he then goes on to say, pray especially for your kings and leaders, he first started out by saying, for all people. And so we need to start by praying for our citizenship. Praying that our people respect and honor and obey their government. That our people recognize their responsibility in this country too, for example, like voting. It's also a reminder that we should pray not just for our nation, but for all people of this world who need God's help. So, as we talk about praying for our leaders, let's remember to do so with the right kind of asking. At the end of our section, though, he included this. He says, Therefore I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Now he's talking about praying with a reverent attitude. He describes it as having holy hands. Come, lifting up holy hands. If we look at who we are, and what we have done with our hands, how could we say, I am coming to God with holy hands? Our hands are dirty. Our hands are tainted by sin. But it must be possible to come before him with holy hands. Otherwise, he would not have urged that. So what does he mean? How can it be? How can we approach a holy God? In the Old Testament, that was taught when the priest would pray, incense was offered with the prayers. And it was the sweet smell of the incense and the smoke rising up that would indicate our prayers are pleasing and acceptable to God. Not because of who we are, but because of something outside of us. It was pointing to the sweet-smelling sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who gave his life in perfect obedience and with a sin-atoning death, to make all that we do now in faith acceptable to him. And so when he says, come with holy hands, it means coming with faith in Christ, 
relying on his merits to be heard. That's why at the end of our prayers, we often say, we pray in Jesus' name, which means with faith, trusting in his goodness, that our prayers will be heard. He also says to pray without anger. Now, sometimes we do get angry and upset with our government officials. God doesn't want us to pray with that kind of an attitude. Rather, he wants us to pray with an attitude of forgiveness. It's easy for us to make judgments about other people and their motives, for example. And we really don't know what their motives are. God wants us to pray with an attitude of forgiveness because of what Christ has done for all of us in forgiving us. Yes, sometimes our government officials will do things that are wrong, that are sinful. Let's pray for their forgiveness. The apostle also said, pray without disputing. It was a word that meant you were talking to yourself and you were arguing about something. In other words, you were kind of getting a a spirit of bitterness or ill will towards somebody. Now, how can you pray for someone to be blessed if you have that kind of an attitude? And so God urges us to pray without disputing. In other words, to be filled with kindness. And so when we pray with our government officials, let's remember the encouragement of Paul, who said, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God has forgiven you. And to put on love over all of those things. Now as we look just at those opening words in which he instructs us how to pray, you have to take a note of this. It starts with us. If we want our country to be better, if we want our problems to be solved, it starts with us with us having the right attitude toward our leaders and praying for them. That means we need to check our attitude. Are we upset and angry? Do we have ill will toward others? You know, to simply sit around and criticize doesn't do a lot of good. If you criticize, first of all, inside of yourself, what good is that going to do but make you angry? If you criticize the government with somebody else, what good is that going to do? What, what can a handful of you do? Or maybe you spread it farther. Maybe that'll do something. Unlikely. Rather, take your concerns and, and turn them into prayer. Prayer will change things. Why? Because God hears and changes things for us. And if we Christians don't pray for our country, who will? If God won't bless our country, no one else will. We have a role to play. And so let's remind ourselves of how we are urged to pray with petitions and prayers of reverence, intercession expressing our trust in God's grace, and thanksgiving for the blessings we have. Now, why should we pray? Well, we might think, uh, let's pray so that things will be better in our country and our lives will be more comfortable, we'll be better off, and et cetera, et cetera. And we might think of all sorts of physical needs that we have. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for our physical needs and for God to bring those blessings through our government leaders. 
as part of praying for our daily bread. But Paul gives us two better reasons why we should pray for our government. Let's listen to his words. One, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior. He's urging us to pray for our government leaders so that we can live sanctified lives. First of all, sanctified life in the inner spirit. He meant that when he used the words to live quiet and godly lives. By quiet, he mean a, a life without fear, and instead a life that has faith and trust in a God who will guide and provide and protect. The godly aspect he's referring to is this inner attitude, then, that we can have toward God, that we want to live our lives as a way of thanking and pleasing him. To be sure, conditions in our world and even in our country sometimes cause us to be concerned, even in our workplace, to have worries and maybe fears about the condition of our life. Let's pray for God to bless those conditions so that we can live with inner peace, trust in him, and reverence for him. He also is concerned that we would live sanctified lives outwardly. That's what he meant when he said peaceful and holy lives. By peaceful, he meant without harassment. Yes, he's referring to our physical well-being, but also he's referring to verbal persecution that we might experience. Our world and our country in the last few years has been showing less tolerance and acceptance of Christianity. Well, let's pray that that change, because that's what God wants for us. Let's pray for safety and respect from our fellow citizens. He wants us to live holy lives. That's that outward behavior that's pleasing to God. In other words, we're asking that he lead us not into temptation. We're asking that he make us strong to stand up against the ungodly influence that's around us and to help us not respond in ungodly ways to those who oppose us. That's pleasing to God. That's the thanks we can show him for all he has done for us and how we reflect who we are, the redeemed people of God, the salt of the earth, the light of the world, because God has another purpose for us. Let's listen to Paul's words. God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. The second reason God wants us to pray for our government leaders is so that we can live lives that are a saving witness to others. For he wants all to come to know in him as their savior. And that word know means he wants them to realize, to experience his grace, knowing who they are and how they've offended him, how we've all offended him because of our sins how in Jesus there is rescue, there is salvation, for he is that mediator we need. 
the perfect mediator between God and men, because he himself is God and man. He paid the ransom that we could never pay, living a life of perfect obedience so that there is a record of perfect obedience that God now credits to all of us through our faith. He paid the ransom for the punishment that was due for our sins when he laid down his life on the cross, suffering God's wrath against all of our transgressions. He showed that all of that worked, that all of that was good, that the ransom was paid when he was raised again to life, assuring us of God's love. That's the message God wants others to know. And he has given that message to us. We are the ones who are to proclaim it. Paul said he was a herald, that is, one who would announce a message, and an apostle, one who was specifically assigned to represent God and to proclaim that message. And he was a teacher, someone who would explain and apply the grace of God. Well, that's our calling. That's our purpose. And that's why we should pray for our country and our government officials, that we can live in the conditions and with the permission to freely and faithfully proclaim this message of salvation. Friends, that's the most important reason why we should pray for our leaders. Yes, we may want a more comfortable life. We may want job security, health insurance security, whatever it might be. But this is the most important reason for us to pray. One thing that we need to do in praying for our government, I'm going to give you an example, is regarding the current health care plan that's proposed by the government. Now, first of all, let me say, as a church, we don't get involved in politics. We don't talk about political things and tell you how to vote and all those kinds of things. That's up to you. But if our government would ever cross a line and come to interfere in the teachings of the church, then we take a stand. Our church, as a church body, and this is the first time that I can remember we've ever done this, has signed a petition with several other dozen Christian churches in this nation telling the Congress to repeal the portion of the Health Care Act that is telling religious institutions and hospitals that they must give birth control to people. Now, we don't have a problem with birth control. The Catholic Church sees it as sinful. But we do have a problem when the government tells a church it can no longer do this or that, practicing their faith, and must change. And for that reason, we, along with many other churches, have protested that particular thing. Well, we need to pray. And here's the reason why. Even though we're not personally concerned about the birth control mandate, we are concerned what could happen in the future if the government sees this as an opportunity to continue to tell the church what it must believe and practice. That's where we draw the line, because we will obey God before men. And so let's pray specifically that our government not pass laws that bring about such situations where our faith is being challenged. Let's also remember to pray for Christians who are suffering persecution. Though things are getting a little tense in our country between religious people and people who have different opinions, it's certainly not like it is in many other parts of the world where there is outright physical persecution. Let's remember to pray for them. 
Pray for our leaders. What should we pray for? Well, let's get some advice from the greatest king there was in the world, Solomon. And we'll listen to his advice, not just because he was a great king, but because he speaks by inspiration of God. I'm going to quickly run through a few passages from the book of Proverbs in which he tells us what we should pray for for our leaders. First of all, we pray that they would desire godly living for the people of our nation. He writes, Godliness makes a nation great, but sin is a disgrace to any people. We should pray for leaders who themselves will live godly and upright lives. Solomon writes, It's an abomination to kings to do evil, for the throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the delight of a king, and he loves him who speaks what is right. He wants us to pray for leaders who are honest and kind in their speech. He says, eloquent words are not appropriate on a fool's lips. How much worse are lies for a ruler. We should pray for rulers who consider the needs of all people and govern fairly. If a king judges the poor, he writes, with fairness, his throne will be established forever. Pray for leaders who will serve others faithfully and are not self-serving. He writes, love and faithfulness keep a king safe. Through love, his throne is made secure. We should pray for leaders who are honest toward all in their work and they're not corrupt. He notes, to show partiality is not good, yet a person will do wrong even for just a piece of bread. He wants us to pray for leaders who will act and speak as a servant of God and not act as if they were God. God's verdict is on the lips of a king. His mouth should not give an unfair judgment. He wants us to pray for leaders who are qualified to serve. He says, luxury is not appropriate for a fool, how much less for a slave to rule over princes. He says, pray for leaders who use their gifts to serve faithfully. A ruler with no understanding will oppress his people, but one who hates corruption will have a long life. We are to pray for leaders who will recognize that they are God's instrument to bless. The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. And we are to pray for leaders who will encourage others to work faithfully. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. And pray for leaders who will protect the people and punish evil. A wise king separates out the wicked and drives the threshing wheel over them. Pray for leaders who are gifted with wisdom and understanding to serve others. I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech. Common sense and success belong to me. Insight and strength are mine. He wants leaders who are gifted with wisdom and understanding to serve others. As he continues, because of me, kings reign and rulers make just decrees. So what does all that mean? Well, our country faces a lot of challenges and needs. 
We want our government to recognize its role. It's here to help people. But we also need to recognize our role, to pray for our leaders. When we do that, God will listen and bless. Amen.